There are three scriptures that I'll begin with tonight, and all of them have bearing on our topic, the laying on of hands. The laying on of hands. So let me just read them and I'll refer to them as we, as we go through our lesson tonight. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together. She could not lift herself up right. She couldn't stand straight. When she saw Jesus, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. And watch what Jesus did. He laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Now there's a scripture I didn't put on here. When the Lord saw the lame man um, coming down from the rooftop, four friends let him down. He said to the lame man, just so everyone knows I know I have power, rise up and walk. He did not touch him. But in this particular case, Jesus himself laid his hands on her. And as he did that, immediately she was straightened and she glorified God. Acts 19.6 When Paul laid his hands upon them, these were the word them, that's the 12 men who had followed John the Baptist. They were disciples of John the Baptist. When Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. The laying on of hands. Now here's another, the opposite of that. Peter is preaching in Acts 10. And the Bible says, while he yet spake the word, the Holy Ghost fell on them and they spake with tongues. He did not lay hands on them. All right, so are you seeing that there are two sides to this? Verse 8 of Acts 28. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and a blood flux to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. In some of the scriptures, the Bible says that the mere shadow of Peter passing by healed the sick. So in some cases, people were healed, they were delivered, uh, they were filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and no one touched them. But in many other cases, hands were laid on people. So tonight we're talking about the laying on of hands because it is part of um, the process of a spiritual endeavor that really occurs within the spiritual gifts, the laying on of hands. First, I want you to know that, that it's, it's interesting to me how many people talk about the, uh, the decaying modernism and the influx of culture into the church. But then they reject one of the very frequent and common actions of the early church. And if we're really wanting to experience the things that the early church experienced, then we have to understand what they did. And a lot of the operations came from the laying on of hands. Not just the early church, but in particular, spiritual things happening by the laying on of hands. So, the laying on of hands is primarily a common operation uh, 
of the first church. Now I want you to grasp this because we are American. We're not just American people. We are, we are 21st century Americans, which is also a deviation from even 1999 Americans. Who knows that's true. Probably more has changed in the last 10 years than, than changed in, a, in the last, uh, in, in 100 years prior to that. Not only are we 21st century Americans and, and already leapfrogged in these given 19 years, but, but the culture of Judaism or, or of the Jews is very different from the American culture. Within the Jewish culture, there were built-in laws, concepts, traditions. One of the more, and I would say modern, it's not really modern, but, but to the Jews, uh, something that's a thousand years old would be modern. Purim is a festival of the Jewish people, Purim. Uh, the, of the big three festivals, um, which we would understand as Passover, the, the, the English church would call it Easter, uh, though really it's a Passover festival. And then the second one would be Pentecost or the Feast of First Fruit. The third would be Sukkot or the Feast of Tabernacles. Those are all built into the Jewish way, but also Purim. Purim is, a, is related to Esther and how Esther fasted for three days before she went in to the king. All of this is built into the Jewish lifestyle. None of it's built into the English or the American lifestyle, especially the Gentile lifestyle. So what we're missing uh, when we receive the Holy Ghost is the lifestyle of conduct, tradition, concepts, and, and, and I'll even say the law of Moses, which in part, even though the American Jew doesn't follow all of that because they're far too liberal, it is built into their system. And so even the liberal American Jew still celebrates Sabbath with particular foods at Sabbath. So their Sabbath would be starting late Friday night and into Saturday morning. Because a, the, a day with the Lord is not, doesn't start at, at 12.01 a.m. The day is that a night and a day are, are one day with the Lord. So it's a night and a day. That's how he measures a day. Is everyone still with me? Did I lose you completely? A few. Who's lost? Okay, who's not lost? Who wouldn't raise your hand no matter what right now? Because, okay, thank you, thank you. Okay, thank you. Okay, so, so the common operation of the early church is far from us. Even the language in which the, the Bible was written, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, with the New Testament written in Greek because Hellenistic culture was part of the lifestyle of the early church. It was a Hellenistic culture. Um, that's what was ruling at the time. And Rome was, was the great empire during and before and during the days of Jesus Christ. And so when you see the early church growing in a rapid pace uh, and then the things that Paul had to address while all of it is applicable to us today, we do deal with things that the early church didn't deal with. We deal with advancements that, has, that have diluted the concepts of basic living. 
basic decency, basic understanding. We're, we're dealing with things for a long time that the early church didn't deal with. Now, they dealt with other things like being openly stoned in the streets, murdered, tied to posts, dipped in oil, burned at the stake, um, hung. You know, they dealt with, with, with real present uh, danger to their body. We don't deal with that as much. Uh, in fact, probably in America, not at all. Though there are other places in the world that do deal with these matters. Uh, and and um, so when you look at the operation of the early church, and you want to get as close to the early church as you can, you can get pretty close. But there's some cultural things that you're never going to be able to traverse. There's some gaps you're not going to be able to traverse. In the spiritual aspect, there's a lot that we can do to move towards the benefits of the early church. A lot we can do. And part of it is the conduct of the church and how we operate. But we have to understand what that means. One of those things, just one, if there's a hundred, one of those things that began in the early church, that was common to the early church, was people laying hands on one another. Laying hands. Now, we want to talk about those initial concepts. And the book of Hebrews gives us a very good uh, uh, description of what they were. Let's read it. Hebrews 6, 1 and 2. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of doctrine of baptisms. Everyone say it, that's plural. Everyone say that's plural. And of laying on of hands and of resurrection from the dead and of eternal judgment. So let's just do some qualifiers first. They, everyone believed, they believed in all of these tenets of Hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 and 2. They believed in the foundation. And the foundation was this, repentance, faith, baptisms, which could only be related to John chapter 3, the baptism of the water and of the spirit. They believed in the baptism of the water and the spirit. They preached it. They preached you must be baptized of the water and the spirit. They believed on the laying on of hands. Just as much as they believed from the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees did not believe that. They contended against the resurrection from the dead. The Pharisees didn't have a problem with that, but the Sadducees did. And the early church believed in eternal judgment. Far from where the American Christian is today that does not believe in eternal judgment. Many Christians today do not believe there's a hell. But the early church believed in, let's do it again. They believed in repentance, faith, baptism of water, baptism of spirit, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. They all believed it. Number two, these items that were listed were foundational. That was the foundation. So when the writer says, let's leave them. He wasn't saying do away with them. He was saying they are established. Number three, Hebrews does not negate or remove the first principles. These are qualifiers. These are the first principles. Let's 
let's go on to something else. Here's some understanding for us. And, I, and I'm going to pause in this. So here's some understanding. Sincere milk. Sincere milk. It was presented for the new believer. The, the, the principles that I just showed you in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, are our first principles. These are sincere milk concepts. Anyone who comes to the Lord needs to understand a couple of things. And this is what I teach and what the Bible presents. That's why I teach it. Repentance from dead works. You have to have faith in God. Jesus said, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Hebrews says that faith without works is, uh, um, that, that, that he that cometh to God must first believe that God is. James said, faith without works is dead. These are the simple, very foundational things. No one gets to heaven without repenting. No one understands or sees God without having faith in God. Doctrines of baptisms are initial. Jesus said you can't enter the kingdom of God or see it unless you're born again of the water and the spirit. Those are baptisms. Laying on of hands. This is an interesting thing. Laying in of the resurrection of the dead because we're not living this life just to have a nice life and die, but we believe that we will rise again. There's something beyond this life. Resurrection from the dead indicates heaven Eternal judgment indicates hell. Guess what happened in the early church? The preachers were heaven and hell preachers. (laughs) I don't want to go to church where there's a heaven and hell preacher. Well, you you surely didn't want to sin under Peter, James, or John, or Paul, or Andrew, or Bartholomew, or Matthew, or any of those guys. I know you didn't want to have church under any of those men because they were heaven and hell preachers. And the Hebrews said, this is what we start with. This is just the foundation. No one builds anything without having a foundation. Here are the foundations. And sincere milk included these ideas, especially that of the Gentile who did not have a traditional guideline in Judaism, which I just described to you. These were argumentations among the early church about meat offers offered to idols and about the way that people would dress and, and circumcision most of all. Most of all circumcision, which was a, which, which was a Jewish uh, sign of a covenant dating back to Abraham. In 1 Peter 2 and 2, as newborn babes desire the same miracle work that you may grow thereby. Growth came, growth, growth came from the sincere milk. Growth came. Understanding the second point here is Hebrews chapter 6 reveals levels or depths of spiritual growth. Levels or depths of spiritual growth. So I just want everyone to know that in this house, everyone is at a different level of spiritual uh, maturity or growth. Everyone is at a different level. There are different depths of understanding the word and of God in a congregation. In fact, if you put four or five people in a room, there are different levels of growth. Some people struggle with their faith. Other people don't struggle with believing in God. They just don't struggle. Some people struggle with obedience while other people are, obedience is no big deal to them. It's it's not even, it's not an issue. Most, if, if I could even say almost all of my military men outside of a few in the last 20 years don't struggle with authority. My military people, personnel, don't have 
much struggle with authority. Once they recognize the authority of the church, they're, they're good. They're fine. Um, because that's been, pardon the pun, drilled into them. It's been, they, they, they feel that. Um, uh, but there are different levels and different depths of understanding in the spirit. And one of the problems that, that the church has built in, a built in, baked in problem, is that we tend to think that whatever depth or whatever level we're at, everyone else should be. And some folks don't understand that, that there's always a group of people in a church that's alive and growing, a church that, that is an organism that has people coming. We're going to have people that are still in the foundation, laying the foundation of even baptism, negotiating their mind whether or not they should be baptized. Because they have believed. Some people have repented, but they don't understand uh, eternal judgment. Maybe... Maybe they're still grasping the idea that there is a heaven because secularism has removed the concept of eternity and hell and heaven, those concepts from them. So what I'm trying to let everyone know is that there are people that are in between and there's different levels and depths of understanding. Legalism occurs when we decide that that goodness, sainthood, um, there's another good word for it, I'll find it, uh, is determined by, by one particular level. We have to be very careful with that because someone walking into the church that's been here for a while may just be trying to get a grasp on God and they're dealing with the suffering and the pain of their life. We see them coming. We say, well, you've been here for several years, but they may have just gotten past what happened in their childhood and they're now just starting to believe that God loves them. And so we have expectations on folks. I call this the gap theory. There's a, there's a gap theory in creation, which I do not espouse, but but... It's a theory nonetheless. But this is the gap theory. One of the theories that I have in gaps is that, is that when people come to new life, we need to allow them room to understand and relate to the gospel and to the church. It's, it's acclimation to new life. And sometimes um, it, takes, it takes folks a while to get, get used to the culture of the church. I even say... It usually takes one year to get acclimated to the structure of our church. It doesn't matter if you are a believer. It doesn't matter if you were, if you were working in another church. It doesn't matter if you didn't know the Lord. It, it takes a while to get acclimated to, to the style of the, of the church. Even to the songs. To learn the new songs. Even if you see them on the screen. Um, it takes a while to understand the, the, the gate uh, of, of even the, the pastor and, and how I deliver the word and how my brain thinks. And some people have been here a long time. They still haven't understood any of the jokes I tell. Um, and, and so I keep telling them over and over, hopefully everyone will get them. So when I feel like everyone got the joke, I'll move on to another one. But so far I'm safe. Uh, maybe not. Um, so, so, I want to allow people room 
to adopt and to understand and have revelations of the scripture themselves too without forcing them to make an ultimatum. Either you believe this or you're not a part. We don't operate like that. That's not how we operate. I preach the word and I hope I can preach without apology. I preach the word and you receive it or you don't, but keep coming back because maybe the light bulb will come on or maybe God will help us to understand the word a little bit better. So whatever the case is, the idea is we come together as a family of God, worshiping the Lord with patience for one another in their respective places, knowing that other people are at different depths. And also, I would caution you, don't think that you're at a, at a, at a deep depth in everything. You might have a lot of depth in one thing and, and not very deep in another. So just because you have a good understanding in one area doesn't mean you have an understanding in other areas. I've known people who had a great understanding and could exegete entire chapters of the Bible, but they never got they they never got the obedience in their finances. <laughs> and so I would say that they weren't very deep in that. They they struggled in that. So so I would just say Hebrews six is revealing something to us, and the writer is writing to people who had established these things, but did not go on from them. They didn't add to the faith. The Bible says, add your faith virtue, your virtue, patience, patience, uh, kindness, and, and godliness. You add to your faith. You should never be at the same level today that you were years ago. Add to your faith. There should be something that we learn every day. I am running every day, usually in the morning, at my table, running trying to find God in a new way. And sometimes the Lord leads me back to something he taught me before, but apparently I didn't pass the test. And you have to go back through that exam again. So I'm, I'm trying to add something to my faith in God and my understanding of the scripture every day. No one taps out. No one reaches a point where they don't need to learn anymore. Nobody. There's nobody, I've never met anyone who has it all together, who's learned everything, who's conquered everything. You'll never learn that. You're not going to be perfect till you get to heaven. Even in new life, we don't, we don't even strive for perfection. We strive for excellence in the things we do, but not perfection. But when we strive for excellence, that doesn't mean we reach that. It just means we, we, we try to do something very well. We, we, we want it done very well, but that doesn't mean that it's done very well. <laughs> it just means that we're trying to do it. Sometimes you just get up to get to church and it's enough to get there because you went through all kinds of mess before you got here, but at least you got here. I know somebody relates to that here in this house. But you do what you can and you might have depth in one area, but not good depth in another area. And so the whole church has to exercise patience. But Hebrews chapter 6 is speaking to people who are stuck on a level. They, they had kept on going through the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over again. And the writer says, it sounds like Paul. We don't know exactly who wrote the book of Hebrews, but it sounds like Paul. The writer, if so, Paul, is going to submit to them, let's go on from the foundation. Listen. If you're baptized in the name of Jesus for the mission of your sins, as the Bible describes, you only need to do that one time. So 
You can't keep coming back and get baptized in the water. Now, you, you, you might want to, but if you're really bad that week, you might want to do that. But all you have to do is repent. Because when you repent after you're baptized, then those sins are, go back under that water, even though you physically didn't do that. Would everyone agree? Thank you. Well, then why do we come to the church to try to receive the Holy Ghost again and again and again and again and again and again? Speaking in tongues is fine. That's wonderful. I hope you do it. But so, at some juncture, you've got to grow from there and you've got you to go on from there. Now, within these initial common doctrines of the church, of the early church, was this incredible feature called laying on of hands. Can you imagine that within the construct of baptisms, eternal life and eternal judgment is this laying on of hands? It must have been very important to the early church to include the gospel, eternity, and laying on of hands. Can you imagine? That the saints were equipped. So, what was perfection? Well, the actual, uh, the actual word perfection means maturity. It doesn't mean perfect. It means maturity. Let's go on to maturity. So of the first tenets is this principle of laying on of hands. Let's give a little clarity of the, of the principle. Um, did, did we do the purpose? Did we, let's do the purpose. I'm sorry. Let's do the purpose. The purpose throughout the scripture and not just in the early church was a recognition of an anointed position. So we're going to lay hands on someone as a recognition this is anointed man or anointed woman. Acts chapter 6. There was a bifurcation of positions. They were going to appoint men of honest report. And they were going to conduct the business of the church. Because some of the widows were not receiving their daily portions of food. There were food pantries in Acts 6. And people were poor. They were hungry. They had no money. And they had no food. And Jerusalem was very oppressive to a lot of the Christians. And so this was a recognition of an anointed position. And this was, a, this was an anointed position by the apostles. And then they said, you're going to conduct the business. And we're going to give ourselves continually over to prayer and to the word. We're going, this is what we're going to do. You're going to do the business. We're going to do the word. We're going to be in the spiritual realm of feeding it feeding the church with the word of God, you're going to be in the physical realm of feeding the church with actual food. So they laid hands on them and anointed them to be that, those kind of men. The second is the recognition of authority or the passing on of authority. So this happened actually in other parts of the Bible where it was, it, it was in a ceremonial part, a ceremonial recognition um, this happened twice, so I'll, I'm going to skip down to, to, to number six. Number six is a spiritual transition of power. So number, number two and number six are very similar. I want to I add something to your handout. And that was 
and, and that was when Moses uh, laid hands on Joshua. Now, now, in number two, the recognition of authority, the passing of authority, you can find that in Acts 13 and 3. And number six, the spiritual transfer of power is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, if you're writing this down. I'll do it again. Number one, the recognition of an anointed position, that's Acts 6, 6. Number two is Acts chapter 13, verse 3. And the final one on your paper, a spiritual transfer of power, is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. You got that? Is it on your paper? Praise the Lord. Okay. It wasn't on the screen. That's why I didn't know it was on your paper. Okay, you got that. Now, number two and number six can be seen in a dual nature. When Moses is about to die, he puts his hand on Joshua. Now, he does that for two reasons. Number one, he wants the people to recognize Joshua is the successor. But also, there's a spiritual transfer of power. And that has happened in churches, even in this day, when a senior pastor or a lead pastor becomes older and he is ready. And the people may, may, may vote on a new pastor, but that, after that's done, that senior man puts his hands as a transfer. And this has happened uh, in many places. Um, a, a prophet, it was an old prophet, his name was was Barnes, T.W. Barnes. He did that. He did that to a, a few men. And there was a spiritual transfer of power when he did that. Number three. Laying on of hands was a part of the process of being baptized in the Holy Ghost. Acts 8 and 17. When they laid their hands on them, people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So, One of the things that, that we often do is we lay hands on people to receive the Holy Ghost. They don't have to do it that way. They don't have to receive the Holy Ghost with someone laying on their hands. But there are times when people are praying with someone and they'll say, I'm going to lay my hands on you. And when I do, you are going to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The second one is a part of, it, it's the same thing. It's a part of the process of healing. And this is what Jesus said. You'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Not, not every time. Because you can pray for someone over the phone and they can be healed. I've done that. I've prayed for people over the phone. They were healed. Can't believe it. I, I just said, you, you mean you feel, they've said, I, I'm, I'm healed right now. I can't, it's, it's gone. I didn't touch them physically. But Jesus did lay hands on people. Sometimes he spoke the word of them. As I, as I read to you. So, Sometimes we lay our hands on someone and we pray for them because Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, you'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. The laying on of hands was a common practice among the church. It was a needful practice of the church. And also there's something else about laying on hands. It was, it was part of the nature of the Hebrews in fact, at the, at the last days of his life, Abraham will do it to Isaac. Isaac is blind. He's about to lay hands on what he thought was Esau, and he laid hands. He laid hands on Jacob. 
Esau comes back in, realizes he's been deceived by his younger brother, his twin, which was, of course, still his younger brother. And he cries and says, is there not one more blessing for me? And you won't find that Isaac put his hands on him. He won't put his hands on him because there's no transfer of blessings. And then Jacob grows up. He becomes very, very old. And Joseph brings his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, to him. And that's when second beats first. Remember? And he crosses his hands and he puts his hands on Ephraim and Manasseh and lays his hands on them. That was a transfer of blessing or an inheritance. So laying our hands... Um, we may not do that, but that is what was common, and it was common in the culture. One of the things that my pastor taught me was that he would touch the bride and the groom. He would lay hands on them, maybe even in a subtle way, as a transfer of blessing over their life while he was Conducting the ceremony or at the end, before or after, but usually at the end of the ceremony. Transfer of blessings. Sometimes these things that are done, I said last week, some things we do in the natural manifest himself, the spiritual, and, and, I'll, and I'll give you the other side. Sometimes we say things in the spiritual that manifest themselves in the natural. Both of those things can occur, and in this particular function, laying on of hands is both a spiritual and natural thing. And it was common among the early church. Today, it's, it has some um, pushback. There, there, there is some rejection of it. I want to talk to you a little bit uh, about the principle of give a clarity of it. The principle is always a human measure by faith. So the principle of laying hands is something by faith because even though we would lay hands on someone that does not mean that something automatically happens we do it by faith whether it's a blessing whether whether it's a healing or we're praying for someone to receive the holy ghost it's it's a measure of faith and that's that's important because anyone can lay hands on someone that doesn't mean that anything's going to happen. So the second is like the first. Hands without God are insufficient. Hands, they're always insufficient without God. Because you don't have any intrinsic value in your hand. You might have germs. <laughs> that was one of those jokes. I'll just keep on saying that one. But you don't have any intrinsic value in your hands. But God moves through your obedience as you lay hands on someone for whatever that they need in the Lord. When we pray for a cloth and we anoint that cloth and then we put it to a little plastic bag to keep the, the oil on it. And then we send it out. We always put our hands on the cloth. We, 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 we put a lot of hands on it. We pray for it. The cloth and the olive oil, they're not magic. We didn't, we didn't spin the, the cloth and the fabric. The oil wasn't blessed. It didn't come from some magic olive tree. It was God, by faith, moving on something 
that is a remnant of what the early church did. Now, these things that I talked to you about are far from secularism. They're far from the logical analysis of the world. They would never understand what we're talking about here. That the laying on of hands could have any significance to the world. They would never understand that. But we believe through the Bible that these were the foundational concepts of the early church. And we've got to make sure we understand how those foundational concepts are used in our church. And then we ought to exercise them. And everybody said amen. All right. The next principle is that God gives the gift. Hands are for faith and by obedience. Hands are for faith and by obedience. So the combination of, and and I illustrate this, that there are times when I'm praying for someone to be healed. And before I lay hands on them, I will say to them, you are going to be healed And I'm about to lay my hands on you. And when I lay my hands on you, we are going to believe that God is going to touch your body. So I'm building up faith because I know that that my hands are for the faith of the people because they feel the, the human touch. And also, I'm obeying Mark chapter 16 and I'm doing it by obedience because Jesus said, you shall lay hands so those two things combined what i'm saying with my mouth invoking faith what i'm doing with my hands through obedience is giving someone something they may not have by themselves and faith begins to rise it's the principle of of this action or of this portion of the foundation and finally these things are not sufficient in and of themselves but but there's another thing that's required. Because we can walk around, we can, we can just lay hands on someone. But prayer and fasting are required. Prayer and fasting. Jesus said, because they, the disciples were confused. They were, they were trying to cast out a devil and, the, and, and there was no response. And they came back and said, we, we did everything you said to do. And Jesus said, some things or this kind cometh not out but by prayer and by fasting. So if, if you want all the answers and you don't fast, uh, you're not given to fasting, you won't get all of them. Because some things don't come out, they, they're not answered except you include fasting in the prayer. So when we talk about laying on of hands, this is not just a physical, natural construct. We're just not going to go around and, and put our hands on someone. But prior to that, prayer and fasting has to be implemented. These are spiritual endeavors. These are things that the early church understood. They knew it. See, laying on of hands was already built into their thinking. They knew blessings come through laying on of hands. They knew Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They understood Jacob's blessing to Ephraim and Manasseh. They understood all of that. They understood Moses, the transfer of power and recognition of authority. They understood that. So when the early church was was coming about and Jesus laid his hands on people and they, they were healed, the disciples, the men and the women, understood prior to the inception of the Lord's ministry that laying on of hands had significance now it had power so this was a built in to the to the fabric they didn't question it here's the scripture then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said why couldn't we do this why couldn't we do this he said because of your unbelief And then he talked about a mustard seed. 
And then he said, let me tell you about this kind. So there are some prerequisites or things that have to happen before all the prayers are answered. Now, I didn't want to get too far off into prayer and fasting. I just wanted to show you and and present something to you that you don't somehow believe and you get up from here, I'm just going to put my hands on someone and they're going to be healed. No, you have to prepare yourself too to see the answer come about. Even though I know that God does the work. Think of yourself as a conduit that the Holy Spirit wants to flow through. You're going to lay hands on someone. I, I know these stories are, are crazy. I, I, Brother, Brother Jones will be here. He's perhaps probably my favorite preacher of my entire life, Jerry Jones. He's going to preach here October the 6th. I'm so excited. He's never been here before. He kind of scares me a little bit. He's a, he's a brilliant mind, maybe the most brilliant thinker. He's an historian. He's a powerful man. He's seen so many things. I, was, I got to be with him. I spoke at Ohio camp. He was the nighttime preacher. And I, I got to sit next to him. And I, I don't have, there's a few men. I, I remember um, I had, Scotty had, I think Scotty had gotten married. And, and I was the new youth leader. And I was in charge of the youth week. Back in those days, we had Youth Week. And I uh, got a hold of Brother Jones, and he came and preached our Youth Week. He drove from St. Louis. to, So it was a big deal, you know. He was the guy. And, um, and I, I sat through so many of his sermons. I have a, a shoebox full of preaching notes of his. I have a, I, so many. I told him, I've listened to him. And I said, I hope you have something new because if you preach something old, people are going to wonder why you're, why you're preaching one of my sermons. Um, and he told the story of a man who was witnessing, had the kids in the car, and this is what the man would do. He would drive as far as he could drive until the car ran out of gas. This is way back. And he'd get out of the car and go have a talk with God. He'd walk up and down the road. Said, now, Lord, you know we need to get to where we're going. And by the time he got done praying, he put his hands in the car, got in the car, started up, and drove all the way to where they were going. You don't know this, but God can fill your car up with gasoline. One of our problems is we have a lot of options. We don't need God to fill our car up with gasoline. But there was a day, and there are people that don't have the options we have. They didn't have Tylenol. They didn't have gasoline. I remember the story of two ladies going to a conference far, far away. And they, had, they filled up their car. They knew how much gas they had. They had $20 left to get back home. And they, were, they felt like they should give that $20 in the offering. They gave it in the offering that night knowing that the car was on empty. And I have to tell my wife, that doesn't mean eternal gasoline forever. I got in the van yesterday. She said, we're going to go to the church. It was, how many miles left to drive? Zero. She said, don't worry about that. It doesn't mean zero. I said, it says zero. We got a lot of gas. We can get to the church. I said, I've got to go to the gas station. She said, we don't have time. We got to go to the church. I got to get, I said, we're going to stop at the gas station. 
It said zero. She said, I know my van. See how she does. I know my van. I got so many miles left. Oh, I can't live like that. Oh, that just hurts my heart right there. Heebie-jeebies. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know how you people operate. I can't, I'm not operating like that. I did that one time. That's the last time I'm doing, doing that. They put their $20 into the, into the offering, got in the car, drove all that way home on empty, had no gasoline. They prayed the whole time going home, and the Lord sustained the car. He sustained it. See, some of these things that I'm talking to you about, this is not an arbitrary function of the human mind. It's a spiritual endeavor. Laying on of hands is a spiritual endeavor. And you ought not lay hands on people unless you have a walk with God. And I'll give you scriptures for it. Because there was a whole bunch of guys who figured out, hey, we like this. It was not, this, was, this was a phenomenon. I've I got to tell you, laying on of hands in the early church was a phenomenon that power could come. They all knew about blessing and authority. and They all knew that, but they didn't understand the power behind it. So... The, so a guy named Skiva, he has a lot of guys, he has a lot of boys, and they get around this man who's possessed with the devil, and they lay hands on them, and they're trying to rebuke the devil out of it, and the devil says, we know Jesus, that's the source, we know Paul, that's, that's a receptor, but we don't know you, and that man jumped on those seven men, tore their clothes off, beat them up, tore their clothes off, the Bible said they ran away naked, better be careful who you lay hands on, God in heaven. Well, put that on Facebook. That's for sure. We're going to do that. <laughs> Simon the sorcerer saw Peter and John doing it. And he said, wow, I like this. I'll pay you for the power that whoever I lay hands on, he will receive the Holy Ghost. And Peter said, your money perish with you. Because see, this was a phenomenon that power came through laying on of hands. But Peter was trying to teach Simon. This is not a trick. It's not something you can buy with money. That's a spiritual transaction. It's a spiritual endeavor. So I say this also tonight. This is a very spiritual endeavor. And that there's, there ought to be in our lives some things that, that precede us laying hands on people. And I would submit prayer and fasting. Now let me just offer a little bit of wisdom when we do this. Because we're going to do it. This is, not, this is not on your um, handout. Uh, uh, well, let me just read the scripture first. This is Paul said to Timothy, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels, everybody, bring them all in, that thou observe these things without preferring one before another. Do nothing by partiality. Okay, this is critical by partiality. You have to understand verse 21 to understand verse 22. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Now, that does not mean that you jump up and lay hands on people during the church and scare them. It really meant that you don't have a hasty ordination or put people in a position that are not qualified for the position. Everybody got that? Lay hands on no man suddenly... It's often understood as forbidding hasty ordination. 
Did you get it? Now you have to under, you have to read verse 21 to get it. Nothing by partiality and don't be a partaker of another man's sin. So you keep yourself pure. So they're not they're not ready to receive that position. One of the churches that I've worked with here in the last few months in years past, anyone who came to church was immediately used in positions. Now the Bible says know them that labor among you. So the older I get, the more cautious I get about people used in any kind of position in the church. I want to know who they are. I want to know who you are. The, the saints need to know. There has to be a qualification. I mean, there's a reason why even everyone who works in the Sunday school department and in the youth department has a legal background check. We want to know who's here. And we do our best to figure out who's here, who's working with our children. So that we don't have people that don't belong there. Now this is, it's common sense, but it doesn't happen everywhere. So one of the churches that I've worked with in the last couple of months, in, in, in just in the last few years before the pastor came in, a new pastor came in, was that anyone who walked into the church could be used. Well, that's caused a lot of trouble. Because some of the people were ordained to do things in the church that didn't qualify. So in our world, laying hands would not necessarily lay hands or would appoint But let me just add a little wisdom to this. We have to be careful about laying hands on people suddenly in another way. Because if someone's brand new and you don't know them, you could spook them. People have been scared out of the church because someone laid hands on them. I was preaching a revival somewhere. I know where it was. And um, I said, we're going to pray for everybody. And one of the young ministers got excited and went and prayed for the organ player. And the organ player, I knew she was mom's friend. And I knew her from years ago. And I knew she had had a couple of back surgeries and was really doing her best to sit on the cushion on the organ and play it. That was, to me, that was a miracle in itself that she could get there. And the young man went over and and got her head and bit it backward. And she didn't come back to that revival uh, because she had to go to the doctor. Because in his haste, he decided he was going to lay hands on her with no wisdom and just because he felt like this is how it, it's done. Force of the hand doesn't give more healing to the body. Neither does volume. <laughs> I'm going to pray for you. When I pray for you, you're going to be healed. In name of Jesus. That doesn't mean that we don't have to shout or yell. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be, be vocal. I'm just telling you that these, these things are not tricks. This is not a trick. And sometimes people lay hands on folks and, and we don't know. But if they're not healed, they can be worse off than when you started. I'm just giving you a little wisdom. For some of you, it's common sense. But just so you know, not everybody wants to be touched. When I pray for someone, I 
I will tell them, I'm, I want to pray for you. I'm going to put my hand on your shoulder. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put my hands on you. Is that okay? Sometimes I've asked. Sometimes I know who, who I'm praying for. It's, so it's okay. I, I understand that. My kids are around. I'm put my hand right on their head, especially if I think Reagan has spent a lot of time on his hair. I'm not even really praying for him that he'd be healed. I'm praying for him that he'd lose his pride. <laughs> In fact, anybody I think has spent too much time with their hair, I'm like, come here, I'm going to pray for you right now. <laughs> okay, that's bad. It's true, though. It's just what it is. But when men pray for women, it's okay to lay hands on someone. But the Bible didn't say you had to put your hand on their head. And sometimes it's okay to put your hand on their, their shoulder or their hand, grab them by the hand. And a lot of times I pray for, for, for people and I grab them by the hand because I'm, I'm laying hands on them. This is the Bible. This is the foundation. But I'm going to do it in an appropriate way, especially if I don't know them. If I don't know them, I don't have a personal relationship with them. I want to be careful how I touch them. When I pray for them, I'm often going to tell them. Now, I've seen people close their eyes and they're praying and someone goes up to them and lays their hands on them and they're, and they're startled. And I've seen them stop praying right then or shut down. You got to be very careful when you put your hands on someone. You have to preface it. Now I'm teaching you how to do this so that you don't bend people's necks back, scare them, or touch people you don't know without letting them know. May I, or ask them, can I pray for you? I'm going to put my hands on you. Can I pray for you? Sometimes I'll put my hand on someone's shoulder. So these are things that we have to learn because we need to engage in laying on of hands. We need to do it. We don't need to be afraid of that, but we need to do things appropriately, decently, and in order. Now, I don't need your amen here, but that would be nice because this is how we're going to do it. So here's Paul's patterns and the decency of laying on of hands. Quick positioning without necessary roots is number one. And that's the appointment. So he spoke against it. You quickly put someone in a place where they don't have the roots to do it. I've watched this happen at a couple of our major uh, platforms where young men were gifted as orators. Today they're not serving God. And the reason why is because they were lifted up too soon and they didn't have the roots because when you are in front of thousands of people and you're preaching and the anointing falls, you don't know how to handle it after you're done. And when you don't know how to handle it, then you get led astray and you keep seeking after the affirmation of people instead of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. This is the problem with this pulpit here. You can feel excited and all of a sudden the people respond and that anointing was for the people. But then you keep chasing the high. This has happened in many, many Bible school, seminary chapels where young men and young women get up and they speak and, and the crowd goes wild. Of course, the crowd is a, also a group of people who know they're up next. <laughs> and so the crowd goes wild and they think this is good. Yeah. But as Sister Shock taught us, and those of you who have never been to, to, the, to, the, to the class Colors, you should sign up for Colors. It's going to be in October. You should all take the class Colors. It's awesome. You can figure out what color you are. Gold, green, blue, orange. 
Blue is kind of emotional. And she has said, don't judge how good you're doing by the blues. <laughs> They'll lie to you every time. <laughs> that was wonderful. Was great. May not have been. That's, all, that's how they respond to everything. Ice cream is so great. Okay. So Paul is saying, you need to have some roots down. Because, because leadership can be dangerous. People desire a place, but it's dangerous. Because the once you start telling people how to live and preaching the word, all of a sudden, the word becomes a microscope on your own life. Uh-oh. You mean I have to actually live up to what I just told other people? That's not pretty. And this is one of the things that happens when people are put into a place, but they don't have any foundation to withstand the rebuttal. The opposite happens too, where I preached many places around the country and no one said anything and I knew that I was anointed and there was no response from the crowd. Man, I could have died right there. If I didn't know what my calling was and I wasn't secure in where I was, I'd have packed it in right there and said, this is the worst. I went to revival and the only time I ever agreed with a pastor was when he gave me the, the honorarium check and said, I wish it could have been more. That's the only time I ever agreed with him. <laughs> I wish I wish to. That cost me more to pull up there. And then the people were nothing. Dead. I got on the road. One of my friends called me and said, Hey, were you just preaching for this place? I said, Yeah. They, they said, I was going to tell you, don't ever go there. That's a preacher killer every time. They just kill the preachers. So if you don't know... And you're leading, you're trying to lead somebody, but there's not correct response. You can get very, you can get very distraught. Moses had to know he was a man of God because the people decided to go ahead and stone him and kill him. He could have walked away at the Red Sea, but he knew who he was in God. He had enough roots. And I'll tell you where he found those roots. He found them 40 years working for his father-in-law on the backside of the wilderness. He had to, he had to find out who he was there. By the time he got to lead the people, he came to lead the people, he was secure. I don't understand it, but I would just tell you, Jesus spent 30 years preparing for a three-year ministry. It changed the world. There's a lot of people that spend three years preparing for a 30-year ministry. I'd rather spend... 30 years of preparing for a ministry and change the world than, than minimal a time and live the rest of my life in mediocrity. But because we want instant leadership and power and positioning, we don't understand the damage if you don't have the root and being secure because every once in a while people will try to hurt you. Uh-huh. I prayed for people, thought that they would be here forever, and they are not here today. They walked away. I've heard, I've, I've had people tell me how much they love me, and 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 when they left the church, they told people how terrible I was. That's right. I've had expectations that were dashed on the rocks a thousand times over. Oh yes, I've stood right here in this altar and I said, "Listen, I know what you're going through." tell me that you're going to stay in the church and they pledged cross our hearts hope to die we're never leaving this church and never came back another service 
I fasted for people. I gave somebody personal love offering a few years back. We were in the other building. I gave them a personal love offering. Prayed for them. They cried. They hugged me. And they didn't come back to church. And finally, a month later, I called them. And I said, where did you go? They said, we don't like the church. We, 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 We don't want to go there no more. And I said, well, when did you decide that? They said, well, we knew this all along. And I said, well, then why did you take my money? Whatever. I must be bitter. I'm still talking about it. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. See? See what it's like to stand up here now? See, I'm just convicted. I just convicted myself right here as I'm standing here teaching Wednesday night Bible study. (laughs) Oh, my. And then there's authority without integrity. Authority. When, when the position is offered and someone lays hands or, and this is a figurative speech, where this, there has to be integrity in that. Letter B. Impulsive response without the receiver's knowledge or understanding. So you got excited and you decided you're going to go run over and lay hands on someone, but it was your impulsive response. But the receiver of that didn't have the knowledge of what you were doing and they didn't have the understanding of how to receive it. So be very careful when we start exercising laying on of hands and we need to do it. Here, pastor, we got to do it, but we've got to do it in the right way so that the receiver has an understanding and a knowledge of what's happening. Even if it's minimal, Even if it's just a request, it's minimal. Letter D. Uh, Do we have letter D? The placement of hands. The placement of hands. And the placement of hands has to do with, with conduct. You can write conduct next to that, the placement of hands, conduct. And we are, uh, we're a very social and loving church. We, we, we embrace one another. I, I think, you know, we, we have, there's, there's a little bit of, of, of wisdom we're going to have to use just in the placement of hands to know where and how we ought to do that. I, I'm going to just not spend too much time on that, but just to emphasize um, that Try to use judgment in these, in these areas, in these ways, the place of hands. And it's, there's some decency involved. And show me the last one, the explanation, if you will, Sister Lori. When, when you describe what's going to happen to someone, when you describe that moment, you're, you're not just speaking um, a, a rhetorical Thing. It, 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 it's, it's not something that, that doesn't invoke a response. In fact, it's the opposite of it. When you preface laying on of hands with your word, you are invoking an emotional built up of faith that something supernatural is going to happen in them. Now, you, don't, you may not have the gift of faith, but you have to use faith when you pray for someone to lay hands on them. When you lay hands on them, now, now let's just, let's talk about this. When we dedicate a baby and we lay hands on that baby, we're praying a protection around that baby. We're not praying healing unless they're sick. And we're not praying Holy, Holy Spirit because they have no knowledge of anything. 
We're, 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 we're talking, sometimes when we lay hands on the parents who are praying for wisdom to raise the child. So there, so there are some blessings that we're putting. These are blessings, spiritual blessings. Every child should be dedicated to the Lord. We're blessing them and we're blessing the parents and we're praying for wisdom. So this is a transfer of something. But when you're praying for someone to be healed or receive the Holy Spirit, it is good, even if they're praying and you feel like they're struggling, to stop them and say, if you'll just put your hands down for a moment and let's talk about this. We're going to pray that God, now this only happens if they're struggling, we're going to pray that God would come in this prayer right now. And we're going to pray. And and I asked him, do you believe that you can be healed? Yes. Do you believe that you're going to receive the Holy Spirit? Yes. Okay, when I lay my hands on you, the Holy Ghost is going to come and you're going to be baptized the Holy Ghost. You're going to be able to speak with words you didn't understand. This is the Holy Ghost coming out of you. It's filling you up and it's coming to come out of you. I'm going to put my hands on you. And when I do, I'm building up their faith. Because the explanation by faith is a build up. The hands don't come first, the faith comes first, and the hands follow the word or the explanation of faith. Is everybody still with me here? This is a pattern of the early church, and it is, it is the right way, the pattern of Paul, how we lay hands on people. Laying hands on people is not like playing freeze tag, which I've seen many people do. Touch, 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 touch. That, what are you talking about? Wait a second. That's not how we're doing it. This is is not it. There are learned responses of people that do not indicate spiritual power. Now, I think people can fall out in the spirit. I've seen it happen. It's an awesome thing. And I've seen people shout and run the aisles. That's an awesome thing. But I don't believe that when the music starts, everyone ought to be running around the church. Because I've been in churches before where when the music starts... Everybody starts running. All that is is a learned response. If you want to know a learned response, sing the songs, clap and raise your hands to the Lord. That's, that's how we begin. But there's also other learned responses. When someone touches you, you just fall on the floor. That wasn't the Holy Ghost. You didn't feel anything. You just went out because that's what people learn. These are learned responses. And they happen a lot of times in Christian churches and specifically a lot of times in Pentecostal churches. Now, if you fall out, fall out because the Holy Ghost just, just overwhelmed you and you sank out. You just went out. I love that. It's awesome. I, I want that to happen to me. I, I'm praying that God would just overwhelm me. There have been times I've sank to my knees. I just couldn't get back up. Because there was such a flood, like someone just poured buckets of, of water over me and I was just flooded with the Holy Ghost. And, I, and the power and the love of God, I just couldn't get back up. I don't want it to be a learned response, I want it to be a function of the Holy Ghost. So, the explanation by faith is critical. Because something's going to happen and you are going to feel something. Now, whatever way they respond is how they respond. Some people do fall out and that's wonderful. When Frank Elkins got the Holy Ghost, he laid, he fell out and laid on the floor and was right there and spoke in other tongues, but he didn't know anything about what was happening here. Amen. I don't know where Frank is, but I thought I saw his wife. You were standing right next to him. I was watching him speak in other tongues, just laying out on the floor. I was like, that is the Holy Ghost if I've ever seen it right there. 
this is my preference. Okay, I'm just, you know what? This is just the preacher you have. Because I'm concerned about people carrying around little blankets because they know, okay, we're, we're all going to get prayed for. Boom, you're prayed for a blanket. Boom, you're blanket. Boom, we're blanket. blanket. Got to have blankets for all the people who are, who are wearing dresses and when they, they fall out, put a blanket, put a blanket. They're, what is that? We ain't doing that. I mean, we're not doing that stuff. You fall out, I'll take my coat off. We ain't, we ain't going to have a stack of blankets to cover you back up. And, and by God, I'm not going to put a pillow under your head either. If you want to fall asleep, these are nice cushion chairs. <laughs> See, this, oh, help me, Lord Jesus. I know I strayed from my hand out. There are no fill in the blanks here. I got to say some of these things because I want you to know we're going to have some incredible things happen here. And everybody knows I'm not afraid to dance and shout and I'll run around the church. I've ran on my own sermons because nobody was shouting. I just ran myself. I'll dance and shout and jump. I'll kick my, I throw my shoes. So I'm not afraid of the demonstrative worship. No, I am not. I just want us to know whatever we're doing, we're doing it by faith. It's the Holy Spirit. It's not a function of the flesh. We got to have the Holy Ghost come in this house. I want to tell you, when I put my hands on you, I'm, I'm prefacing it with prayer and with fasting because I believe I'm not just playing games. I'm not just putting, putting oil on your head just to get your head oily. I'm praying in the name of Jesus that you would be delivered of every affliction and disease. Every addiction is going to fall off your body. Every oppressive spirit is going to come out of that right now. I pray it in the name of Jesus. When I put my hands on you, something powerful is going to happen. It's a supernatural thing. God is going to intervene. And the ministry and spirits are going to be dispatched in your life. Oh, yes. I want to tell you about the real thing. I don't want a fake kind of, kind of doctrine. I, want, I don't want a fake religion. I want a Holy Ghost powerful religion that when we lay hands on people, they shall recover. You ought to recover. We got to pray and we got to fast that when we lay hands on people, something powerful happens. I don't want the Lord to say, ye little faith, you ought to be praying and fasting. You ought to have faith in him. I'm praying right now that we would get a hold of this and we would do the first foundational principles of the early church and lay hands on people and they recover in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Not because we're good, because he's good. Not because we're wise, but because he is the omniscient, all-powerful, eternal king, the only wise God. Yes, 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 yes. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Just stand with me right now and clap your hands unto the Lord and receive the word of God with all of your heart and know that the word of the Lord is true.